All right, nine prayers that you should pray. The first one is pray for your heart's desire. What does your heart desire? What are the things that you long for? What are the things deep inside that you, you hope for, you wish for? Um, Philip Yancey, whose book we've been following along with, we've been tracking along with in our small groups and here in our Sunday morning service, um, and he says this. He says, I have learned to tell God exactly what I want, regardless of how impossible it may seem. What is it you want? What is it you desire? What is it you long for in life? Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you your heart's desires. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when, you, when, um, when uh, you're, you know, it's, let's say it's Christmas time and your kids have a, their wish list, you know, and you know there's something one of your kids really, really wants. Don't you love to give your kids the gift they really want? Don't you just anticipate that moment when they're going to open that gift and they're going to see that gift and they're going to be so excited about that gift? Like, isn't that something that, you know, every one of us likes to give good things to our children or our grandchildren and we get, ex- we get as excited about giving the gift as they get about receiving the gift sometimes. And I think that's the way the Lord is. He wants to give you your heart's desire. He longs to give you the things that will, will, uh, inspire you and, and fulfill you in your life. And, uh, and so when you, when you have things that are deep in your heart, things that you're longing for, things that you, you have want to achieve or things that you just long to see happen, pray about those things. Pray about those things. Philip Yancey said, I pray for peace in the Middle East for justice in Africa, for religious freedom in China and other countries, for an end to homelessness and racism in the U.S. Because I earnestly desire these things, and moreover, I believe God does too. You know, there are things that we see around in our world that we know. like It's probably not going to change necessarily, but... But we know we, we, we long to see those things happen. We can pray for those things. And God will love to hear those prayers. He loves to hear the prayers of our heart. The second prayer that you should pray is prayer, any pray, prayers of lament. Uh, lament is just a fancy word for complaint. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a more liturgical word for, for complaining, right? There's actually a book in the Bible called the Book of Lamentations. It's the Book of Laments. It's a book that Jeremiah wrote. Uh, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. And he probably, many people believe that Jeremiah probably had a problem with, uh, had a, had a, a problem with depression, and he probably struggled with a mental illness of depression because he was often like kind of down in the dumps and he complained a lot and he wrote a whole book and it's in the Bible. Eugene Peterson, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the scholar that um, uh, translated the Message Bible, uh, he said in his study of the Bible, two-thirds of the Psalms qualify as laments or complaints. You read through the Psalms and you'll see a list of complaints there. You see people have, who have been following God and who've been, been, been connected with God, had a relationship with God. It, it, it's not just all about the, you know, the roses and the beautiful things. It's, it's about life. 
and people feel that they have they they can complain about things and it's okay to complain john 11 verse 2 is a, there's a story there in the, the gospel of john about martha and mary and their brother lazarus and their brother lazarus had died and 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 martha and mary when jesus came they had called for jesus to come while he was just sick and they thought, well, you know, if Jesus comes, he'll pray for them and he'll be, he'll be healed, just like all the other people that he's prayed for. But Jesus didn't come on time. And when he got there, Lazarus was dead. And, and Mary and Martha both said the same thing to Jesus. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. They complained. If you'd have come on time, if you'd have been here when we asked you to come... Our brother would not have died. They both said that to him separately. They weren't, they weren't together at the time. They said it to him separately when Jesus arrived on the scene. And, and, you know, so it's okay to complain. If you've got things in your life that are not working out the way you'd like them to be, tell God. Tell God your problems. He understands your heart's cry. He understands your complaints. Um, Philip Yancey says, sometimes we have nothing to offer in our prayers but complaints. So go ahead and complain. The third prayer that you should pray is prayer of confession. Prayers that honestly speak about the failures you have made in your own life. Confession is good for the soul. Confession is good for you because it helps you to kind of come clean it's not, I guess technically it's not necessary to confess your sin. Jesus forgives your sin. He loves you. He's, you know, when he died on the cross, he forgave all your sin. But confession is what will, will help you to come into alignment with God. In 1 John uh, 2 verse 1, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. There's no reason for you to hold back in talking to God about your own failures. You don't have to impress him. He already knows anyway. But when we confess to God our failures, when we confess to God our sin and our shortcomings, we actually bring ourselves into alignment. We kind of, it's more about ourselves than it is about God. We're acknowledging to God that we have failed, that we have not lived up to the standard that he has set for us. And we, we come into alignment with him. And it does our soul good for us to be able to do that. Philip Yancey says, confession restores the channel of communication with God while at the same time flushing away anxiety, guilt, fear, and other obstacles to health. You know, sometimes uh, when we have sinned or when we have, when we have not lived up to the standard we know that we ought to be living up to in our life before God, then oftentimes we kind of recoil and pull back. And we, we, we move away from God. But confession is the thing that brings us back and close to him, and we can come clean with him. The, the next thing is uh, peace and rest. We can pray for peace and rest. Jesus said 11, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Philippians, he says, I gain peace when I do not have to talk God into caring. God cares more than I can imagine and ha has ultimate control over all things that happen. 
You know, when you come to God in prayer, you can just rest. You can be at peace. He wants to give you peace, and he wants to give you rest. Jesus said, come, 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 and I will give you rest. Come, I will give you rest. You know, there's a story in, uh, in the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah. And he was kind of in a competition with, um, with the prophets of, of, of another god. And, uh, and there was a whole group of them, and he was all by himself. And uh, they had this competition going as to whose god was more powerful, <laughs> whose god was true, whose god was real. And so the idea was that there were, they had an altar. They built a stone altar, and they, um, they, they put a sacrifice on the altar. And uh, the idea was that they weren't going to light the fire. They were going to pray to their god to light the fire. Both. And the prophets of Baal, they, uh, they, 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 they prayed. They prayed loudly. They prayed over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, they thought they would impress God by dancing and by cutting themselves, actually. They started, they thought maybe God would listen, their God would listen to them if they actually abused their own bodies. And nothing happened. But they had this, this, this frenzy going on in their prayer. And, 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 and it was just, you know, just working up a frenzy. Whereas Elijah, when he came to pray, he said, well, just pour water on it. <laughs> and they poured water on the sacrifice. And he just prayed a very quiet prayer. And the Bible says that fire came down and consumed everything that was on the altar, including the water that had pooled around the bottom of the, of the, the altar. You see, when we come to God, we can come with confidence. We can come in, in, with peace and rest. We don't have to work up a frenzy in God's presence in order to get him to do what we want us to do. It's not about how loud you yell. There's nothing wrong with yelling. Nothing, not, nothing wrong with praying loudly or, or crying or showing emotion. There's nothing wrong with that at all. We express ourselves to God the way we are. We come as we are. But we don't have to impress God with many words or with flowery language or with great emotion. We can just come to him and we can have peace and rest. So you can pray prayers for peace and rest. Then we can pray for God's presence. That's something that God would love to hear you pray. In John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17, we have this problem promise that comes from Jesus. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. One of the things you can pray for is you can pray that God would just reveal his presence to you in those moments where you, where maybe you feel alone, where you feel distant. But even if he doesn't, even if you can't feel him, you can know he's there. You can know that he's there because the promise of the Holy Spirit has come from Jesus. And Jesus said that he would send the comforter, he would send the advocate to us, and he would live within us. And we can know him. Philip Yancey says, The sense of God's presence may come and go, yet the believer can have confidence that God is already present, living inside, and need not be summoned from afar. Another thing you can pray for is compassion. 
This one struck me as very interesting. These were all prayers that Philip Yancey suggests, and when he talked about this one in compassion, I thought it was very interesting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Philip Yancey says, During hard times, my vision narrows so that I think only of myself and my problems. Then more than ever, I need to widen that vision to expand the circle of God's love. We need to pray that God gives us compassionate hearts, not selfish hearts. Prayer can become a very selfish thing, so we need to pray that God would give us compassion for others. One of the things Philip Yancey talked about, and I thought this, this really kind of rung true with me, was the... The idea that, you know, oftentimes when people have, uh, you know, experienced some difficulty or, you know, there's some tragedy or some new diagnosis or some change in people's circumstances and they let everybody know, everybody prays for them and everybody, everybody rallies around them. But if their, if their prayers aren't answered and if their problems are ongoing or if they accumulate, we often get tired in helping others. And we lose that compassionate edge towards other people. And we will actually, you know, kind of start avoiding people with problems, people that have chronic issues, because it's just kind of too much. It was okay at the beginning, you know, then we felt compassionate. But the, the long-term haul, the, you know, the long haul of standing with people in their pain and their suffering, in their, in their problems and their, their difficulties is something we need to ask the Lord to help us with. Help us to remain compassionate. Not just to be compassionate, but to continue to be compassionate as people face struggles around us. Gratitude is also something we should pray. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 6 tells us, gives us this advice about prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We present our requests to God, but always with prayer, with thanksgiving, with gratitude. Philip Yancey notes, and we talked about this last week, that medical research is discovering that gratitude is the one emotional trait most likely to benefit physical health and recovery. A person who is grateful, a person who's thankful, a person that, that is, 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 is uh, uh, you know, ha- has a, a, a cheery disposition, let's put it that way, about life, even in life's struggles, is more likely to recover, to be healthy, and to enjoy life than a person who's grumpy. Surprised about that? Of course not. Proverbs says it this way, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. You know, if you're sitting around and you're, you're, you're complaining to everybody else, complain to God, that's okay. <laughs> but if you're complaining to everybody else and you're just, you know, you're, you're mad at the world and you're mad at God and you're, you know, you're just mad and angry and grumpy about life, you know, you're, you're less likely to be happy or to become happy. But if you're grateful, you can present your requests to God, but always look for the, look for the good things you can be thankful for in your life and be thankful to God. It will make your life so much better 
ask God, pray the prayer of gratitude. And finally, we can pray a prayer of faith. Faith is very important in prayer. Faith is just that simple belief. It's the trust. Faith is the, uh, Hebrews 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith is completely intangible. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not about, you know, uh, denying reality. Faith is not about, you know, about saying things are that aren't. Faith is a deep-rooted trust in God, that God is good and that he wants good things for you. Faith is, is not dependent on your circumstances. Faith is not dependent on everything being well in your life. In fact, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9. We are pressed on every side by troubles. But we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. And we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Life can be difficult. Life can be hard. But we, because we are people of faith, because we have faith, we are not crushed in those times. We are not destroyed in those times. We are not broken in those times. Nothing can come against us, Paul says, that can, can devour us or destroy us. God's love trumps it all, and that's what our faith needs to be in. Once again, Philip Yancey says, scientific studies have amply proved the value of positive, hopeful faith on, over, on overall health. A belief in healing, in transcendent power, have a... a, a <laughs> A good effect (laughs) on the body's actual cells. If we have faith, if we just, if our faith rests in God and His goodness, uh, James talks about not having faith that wavers. And that's not faith about the outcome. Faith is not about the outcome, faith is about God and His goodness. And trusting him, that God is good all the time. You see, I can have faith in my life that, that, that God is good, even if my circumstances aren't good. It's not dependent upon my health. It's not dependent upon my wealth. It's not dependent upon my status or my stature. It's dependent upon God and his goodness. That's what faith is. So our series has been about this question. Prayer doesn't make a difference. And I think the answer is, oh, I have one more. I missed one. I have to go back. I got these out of order. Grace. We pray for grace. Second Corinthians 12, 9 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Grace comes to us. We ask God for grace. We look for grace because we need grace, because grace is a thing that helps us deal with all of those imperfections in life. Oftentimes we think of grace when, it talks, when we talk about confessing our sins, like we talked about earlier. We, we ask for God's grace to forgive our sins. But grace comes to us not just to forgive our sins, but to, to fill in the gap of everything that's not right with our life. God's Grace is God's gift to deal with the undesirable and imperfect aspects of our life, whether it's our sin or our circumstances. 
You see, we need grace to be able to deal with the things, the disappointments of life that come our way, the disappointments with other people. We need to be gracious towards people that have disappointed us. We need to be gracious about the circumstances that we don't like in life. We need to be gracious towards, towards the, the events in our life that didn't meet the, the, our hopes and all of our dreams. And that's why we ask God for grace. Grace is a divine gift that comes to us to help us deal with our own imperfections and the imperfections of people and life around us. So we pray for grace. Those are nine things. Prayer doesn't make a difference? Yes. Do we always get the exact outcome we wanted? No. But will you be better off for praying? Of course. Does God hear your prayer? Yes, he does. Does God answer your prayer? Does he want to, to give you the good things that, he, that you ask for? Yes, of course he does. And praying is a very important part of of who we are. It's not a it's not a thing that you do. It's not a requirement. God's not God's not demanding that you pray certain prayers or certain ways or certain times. God is there to hear your prayer in a relationship, and it's a good thing for you to do. It makes a difference, and I encourage you to pray all the time, whenever you can, whenever you think about it. Don't ever feel guilty about praying. Don't ever say, "Well, I only ask God. I only think to pray when I'm in trouble." Well, that's fine. Pray, 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 pray. It makes a difference. All right, do we have any questions? Okay. I got some questions coming here from the back. Look at that. If you have more, make sure that that, uh, is up there. You may have some more. Oh, look at this. We've got some questions. Does it make a difference if we pray to God the Father or to Jesus? Hmm. How do you address your prayer? Jesus said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Was Jesus telling us that that you had to pray to the Father? Well, we could get into a big discussion here about the Trinity, about God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, but they're all one. And I don't think it really matters what name you put at the beginning or the end of your prayer. I think there's evidence in the scriptures for all. I think the thing that, the really important thing is that you understand that God's not so concerned about the words you use as he is concerned or he's looking at the heart. All those outward things, like what the words we say or the, 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 if we get the right phrase or whatever, those things are not as important as a heart that is engaged. See, you can pray prayers of, um, uh, you know, with certain words and, and, and think that maybe that would impress God, but he's not impressed by our words. He's impressed by our heart and a cry that comes from the heart. You see, again, I, I go back to the idea that, um, that if, if, a, if, if a child, like one of my kids when they were young or if my, one of my grandchildren came to me and, you know, and couldn't really get out the words that they were trying to express. Maybe they're crying. Maybe they were upset. Maybe they, you know, maybe they, you know, couldn't say what was, what they were feeling. 
but just their cry, just their, just their hands up in the air, you know, to be picked up or whatever it might be would be enough for me to know, to be able to respond to them. And I think that's how we have to look at ourselves when, we, when we're crying out to God from our heart and looking to him. Um, that's all that really matters. That's the connection. That's where the connection happens. It's not because we get the name right or we get the right words or we get the right phrase. It's that our heart engages and that we're reaching out to him and he makes that answer. So I wouldn't get hung up on whether or not you prayed, uh, you put the Father's name first and Jesus' name's last or whatever. You know, like there's, just pray. Just pray. Pray from your heart. Pray the way that you would naturally pray and talk to God. On confession, question, how does the Catholic view of confession to a human person, priest, differ from us <clears throat> confessing directly to God? <clears throat> um, well, I wouldn't say... Let me just think about this for a minute. Say this the right way. There's nothing wrong with confessing to a person. In fact, it's a very healthy thing to confess to a person. And the Bible tells us that confessing to to other people is a very important part of our spiritual uh, discipline. So there's nothing wrong with the Catholic view of confession to a human person. Now, maybe the Catholics maybe go a bit far in saying that you have to confess to the priest and the priest has to be an arbitrator between you and God. I don't think that's necessary. I think you can confess just to God. Um, but again, your confession is not the thing that, that, that is the, it's not necessary. Let me say it this way. Your, your, um, God is not demanding a certain confession from you in order for him to love you, to forgive you. He's already done that. In my view, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sin. And when we come to the cross and we offer ourselves to him and we invite Jesus to forgive us of our sins, he's not saying, okay, I'm only, con- I'm only forgiving you for the sins that you've committed up to this moment, this day. And everything else, now you've got to come running to me every time you sin. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're out. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. And then you're in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. Because, and then you've got to remember everything you've ever done in order to confess it to God. So I don't think it's <clears throat> required in that way, but I think it's very important that we confess to God. And I also think it's important where it's, where it's helpful to confess to people. Why is that? Because it helps us to come to, re, to, to grips with what's really going on in our life where sin has a grip on our life. You see, God's not so interested about the sins we commit. He's interested in the transformation of the sinful nature that we have. What's driving it? And how do we ever come to realize what's working on the inside of us if we don't talk about it? To God and sometimes to other people. You know, I... 
I, I only can speak from personal experience to, under, to help you to understand that when you, when you start talking about the things that are going on inside you, the, even the negative things, the things that you've done, the things that have been done to you, as you begin to process those in good relationships, and that relationship could be with a priest, it could be with a pastor, it could be with a counselor, it could be with a friend, it could be with your spouse, it could be, with all, it could be within the context of a small group. But talking about those things is what helps us to overcome those things. And you'll never overcome those things if you don't confess them. And you know, you're more likely to, to continue to fall and fail if you don't confess to God because you're ignoring the problem. You're ignoring the problem. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like going to your doctor and saying, doctor, I don't feel well. And he starts asking you some questions and you deny, you know, you know, maybe, maybe it asks you about your diet. You know, let's just say the doctor says, well, you know, are you eating well? Oh, yes, I eat really, really well. Except for that bag of chips every night while I'm watching TV, but I won't tell him about that. Right? You know, if you keep something from your doctor that is very important for your health, you're not going to get better. And if you keep something from God, if you kind of hold that and away from God and don't confess that to God, then you're in, you're, you're in denial. God knows all about it. Just like your doctor probably just looks at you and says, <laughs> you know, if he looks at me and I say, oh, my diet's perfect, doctor. He says, well, I can tell right away that you've got a few extra pounds on you, Michael. So your diet's not perfect. <laughs> And God knows what's going on, but he's waiting for you to come into alignment with him so that he can really begin the process of healing you from the inside. You get it? So that's, the, that's the value of confession. And so oftentimes it's with people, we can process that, and, but it definitely has to be processed with God. So I don't think there's a difference in our view with our, with our Catholic brothers and sisters. I think the problem with the Catholic um, system as it, as I understand it, and maybe I just have a character of it. I've never been a Catholic, so I can't really say. But the concept is you just kind of go into the confessional. You don't, you know, you don't look face to face at the person and you just kind of blurt out your sins and you're given, you know, something to do or to say or, and, and that's not really acknowledging anything either. That's not really dealing with the root issues. It's just going through a form, a ritual. Rituals don't, don't heal. Right? Rituals don't heal, but a heart that's contrite, a heart that is repentant, a heart that's willing to change is what's really, you know, if, we, if our attitude is, okay, I'll just go confess this sin. I know God's going to forgive me, so I'll just go confess this sin and then I'll run out and do it over again. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that's just foolish living. You're, you're not fooling anybody except yourself. Okay? What expectations should we have when asking God for something? My experience has been of not receiving. It has given me disappointment and doubt, and I don't make other, so I don't make other requests. Yeah. Um, I think our expectation when we pray is that God is good, 
and he loves us, and he'll do everything he can that's possible to bring our life, to bring good things to us in our life. We've talked about this, is that oftentimes God's working with, he's not, he's working with, with circumstances around us that are, are out of his control, because God values um, the will of people and the free will of people um, more than almost anything else. He doesn't want robots. He wants people to follow him because they love him, because there's a relationship. And oftentimes people that are not in relationship with God, and even sometimes those of us who are, we find ourselves doing things that cause hurt to ourselves and to people around us. And sometimes the things that God is not able to uh, necessarily change in our lives are the result of things that are choices of other people or the, 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 the realm of uh, powers and principalities in dark places that the Bible talks about. There's a demonic work that's happening. So what should your expectation be? Is that God's good and he loves you and that if he could give you the best of life, he would, and he is. Because beyond this is what we call eternity or the fully implemented kingdom of God, and you will have all of that. And I also recommend that you listen to the message again on unanswered prayer. I think we talk about that a little bit more. First Thessalonians 5.17 says that we should never stop praying. How do we pray all the time? I think that's, that's more about... Um, obviously, we can't be talking prayers all the time. But we can have a basis of uh, uh, um, a posture in our inner world that is always facing God. That's partly have a positive outlook, but it's always thinking God in, 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 our, in our mind and bringing things to God as we think of them. Not waiting for prayer to be something that we pray, or that we do at a specific time or a specific moment, but as we think of something. You know, as I maybe look across the room here, I might see someone that I know has a, has a need or something like that. And I can, even as I'm talking to you, I could be praying a prayer in the back of my mind for that person. Right? And you can do the same. And that's what I think of praying. We're in a posture of prayer at all times. That's what it means to pray all the time is that we are ready at any moment to kind of bring that to God. And it doesn't have to be with words. It can just be with just, just kind of pushing it towards God, that thought towards God. So I, I hope that helps. But I think that's what that means, praying all... You can't be talking all the time. You'd be, you'd be useless to the world if all you were doing is praying. All, you know, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you're going to have an accident for sure. It's like people walking around with their cell phones in their face all the time, you know? (laughs) Lots of good stuff in this series. What has changed about prayer for you, Pastor Michael? And what would be the one thing you hope we take away for Parkway? Good question. (laughs) I I think what this series... Uh, in studying and, and reading the book by Philip Yancey, I think the thing that uh, that has stuck with me the most is that prayer 
is a very natural and it's something we should do more. More prayer. And I think the thing for me is to pray more. Um, and to pray just simply resting in the fact that God is good. It's my responsibility to pray. It's God's responsibility to care for the world, including my world, including our church. And so I think the thing is that we pray, 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 pray as much as we can. I think for me in my struggle over the years um, with prayer has been that oftentimes it's just about asking God for things. And it's not, and, and I think, so there's more to prayer than that. It's that posture, it's that openness towards God, it's that constant contact with God and being there um, with him. I think also the other thing that kind of came out for me, I think Philip Yancey brought to me in this, by reading this book was the concept that, that prayer can be something that's so very simple and it doesn't have to be superstitious. We have a lot of superstitions around our faith. And, and, and I think that's one of the things that I've been evaluating myself is, you know, um, we have these ideas about how we have to pray, like we talked about a few minutes ago, the words we have to pray. Will, will my prayer be heard better if I start with our Father? Will our prayer be better off if I say, in the name of Jesus at the end of my prayer? None of that matters. That's superstition. That's not relational. Our prayer is relational. It's about our relationship with God, and it's not about how we do it or where we do it or when we do it. It's just that we do it. It's about relationship. If I, if I took everything about my, my, my prayer life or what I understood about prayer previously maybe in, in life or what I've been taught about prayer and I applied it to my relationship with my wife, hope over here, it would be really weird if I had to say the right words, you know, my dearest hope. I had to start everything with my dearest hope. <laughs> She'd think it was weird anyway. Because <laughs> that would not be me, right? That just would not be me. And, um, and I think God wants us to be personal with him. So, good question. How can we confidently explain prayer to unchurched people who are fed up with uh, disasters and traumatic experiences? Those who feel prayer is fiction and want action. I think we need to ask people, especially unchurched people, what do you expect God to do? What are you, what are you expecting from God? I think, there, I think there needs to be some challenges because I think that superstition really extends outside the church and what people believe about prayer. Um... And I think we have to ask people if they said, well, I prayed, you know, I prayed about, you know, the weather, I prayed about whatever, the disasters, traumatic experiences. How, how, how could we, you know, believe in a God when, when terrible things happen, like what happened in New Zealand yesterday? How, how, can, how can we pray? You know, people ask those questions, and it's almost like they want to blame God for something. Well, what are you expecting God to do? Are you expecting God to do? I think that we can, we can, we can um, confidently explain prayer to people when we say, when our heart is right before God and we're humble and we're repentant and we, we honestly want God to help us in every area of our life, 
not just to fix our problems and to fix the world problems, but we actually want to, we actually want to be in a relationship with him, then, um, then I think we have, we have what's the makings of what prayer is really all about. But just to blame God for the things that happen in the world, to blame God for, for the hate that is behind something like what happened in New Zealand this weekend, that's not God. That's not God. And it's not just that what that the, the shooters or, or, or whatever, it's, it's not just about them either. It's about a bigger problem. It's a, a bigger sin epidemic of hatred and, and violence and racism and all kinds of different things that, that, that are at play there. And to, to blame God for that when it's the sinful choices of humankind and the greed and the, the, the desire for power that people have and pride and all those things, those are the things that God wants to fix. He, does, he, he wants to fix those things. And if we come to him and repent of our pride, repent of our racism, what do you want God to do? Are you willing to change? Because that's where, that's where it begins. That's where the, the, the answers to prayer begins. It begins in our heart and the changes that take place. So I think, that, uh, I think, that, I think that's how I would say if someone came to me and said, well, you know, God's not, you know, God's not stepping up. Well, what are you expecting God to do? Who do you think God is? A magician in the sky? The Wizard of Oz? That's what I think. What are your thoughts on praying to the saints? Idolatry or healthy church tradition? Well, I don't pray to saints, personally. Um... And I don't, I don't necessarily think from the heart of people that do pray to saints that it's idolatry. I don't think that's where their heart is. I think they're just doing what they've been taught. And um, so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't accuse people of being idolatrous because they pray to saints, but I don't necessarily believe it has anything of value. And here, here's where, let me just bring it closer to home. I have, a, I have a sister. Both my parents are dead. My father died when I was just a teenager. My mother died a few years back. And she lived into her 80s. But I have a sister that has this picture of my parents in heaven obsessed with what's going on in our lives here on earth. Okay? She thinks they're up there in heaven. That's how she pictures them, up there in heaven. And they're watching everything we're doing. And they're obsessed with the world down here. Now, I don't go for that, personally. <laughs> that's not how I picture eternity. That's not how I picture heaven. And that's not how I picture what those who've gone before us, how they're engaged in the eternal kingdom, that they're, that they're focused on what's happening here on earth. And so that if I were to pray to, let's say, my, my mother, <laughs> to ask her to help me in this situation, it's not your prayer's not going anywhere because that's not where she's engaged, right? So for me to pray a prayer to Mother Teresa, who's been called a saint now, she's named a saint, I think the same thing. She's moved on. You get what I'm saying? Not part of this realm, not part of this world, not part of what's going on here. Jesus, on the other hand, and the Holy Spirit, 
Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit to actually engage, to bring heaven into earth, to bring the kingdom of God here into earth, right? So Jesus said that the Holy Spirit has come, that we can walk and we can, we can live here on earth with the aid and the help of God and all of the kingdom of God and the powers of heaven through the, through the Holy Spirit. So God himself is here on earth. So why would I pray to someone who's in heaven that is not really engaged, where the Holy Spirit's right here, where God is engaged? He's, he's active here on earth via the Holy Spirit. So that's how I look at it. I don't necessarily, I wouldn't accuse every person who prays to a saint because they go to a church and they were taught that the saints, you know, specific saints will help answer certain prayers. I don't blame that person. I just think they've been, they've got a, there's a wrong concept there in my mind. That's not biblical. It's not what, you know, that's not what Jesus said. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not what Jesus did. He didn't pray to anybody in heaven except for God. Right? It's the God connection. And so I would address all my prayers not to a saint, but to, a, to, but to God to the, to, 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 through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is here and connects me with heaven and the kingdom of God. I hope that helps. I wouldn't condemn somebody, but at the same time, I wouldn't encourage anybody to pray to saints, just like I wouldn't pray to anybody, any of my ancestors or expect them to be involved in anything in my life. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to speak to us, Lord, in the, this area of prayer. And Lord, I do pray for our church that we would become a, known as a place of prayer, a place where people pray, a place where prayers are answered, a place where people connect with God in a deeper and a rich way. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of prayer, and I thank you, Lord, for the, the opportunity to be able to share these messages about prayer, and I just pray, Lord God, that you would just light a fire in our hearts and a desire, burning desire, to pray more, to know you more, to love you more, and to see you work in our lives more. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. All right, we'll see you out in the lobby. Um, I think I'd like to thank Pastor Michael because I think it takes a certain amount of humility and vulnerability.